Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. In our Gospel lesson this morning, St. John the Baptist, who has been imprisoned by Herod for telling him that it's unlawful for him to have his brother's wife, sent two of his disciples to Jesus and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? What are we to make of this? Could the one who leapt in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of Jesus' mother be doubting if Jesus is the Christ? Could the one who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, be wavering while he is in prison? No, brothers and sisters, John is not doubting. He is not wavering. After all, it was he who said, He, that is Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. When his disciples brought him the news that many were coming to Jesus, it was he who baptized Jesus and saw the heavens open, and the Holy Spirit descend as a dove, and heard the Father say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. No, the forerunner is not doubting while in prison. Instead, he knows that his time left on earth is short. He knows that one of these days Herod will put him to death, and so he continues to do his work that he was called to by the Lord, even from birth as his father prophesied, that he will be a prophet of the highest, going before the Lord to prepare his ways. He continues to point his disciples to Jesus, just as he did with Andrew and with John, the beloved apostle. By sending these two disciples to question Jesus, he sends them to hear the voice of Jesus himself, to hear his own testimony concerning himself, so that they too might be pointed to him and become his followers. As Luther wrote about this, John did not want, after his death, his disciples that remained to become Johnites, but to become Christians. For he did not begin his ministry of baptizing and preaching, of making straight the way of the Lord for his own sake, or to make his own disciples, but to make disciples for Jesus. These last disciples who had remained with John had not yet begun to follow Jesus. It seemed to them that Jesus did not fit the one they were looking for. Jesus did not seem to be the expected outcome of the one who was to come. Jesus was not great or a mighty king. He was not a warrior. He was not educated in the way of the rabbis. He wasn't a priest or even a Levite. Their master, John the Baptist, he was the son of a priest. He would have had the priestly training. He would have served in the temple during his time when he reached the age of 30. In fact, his conception was even announced to his father, Zacharias, while he was offering incense in the temple. But Jesus was from a poor family, and he was trained as a skilled worker. 
he didn't fit what they were expecting of the Messiah. And this wasn't unique just to John's disciples, nor even to many of the Jewish people, but even Jesus' own disciples still had trouble understanding the importance of Jesus' work until Pentecost. After all, while they stood with Jesus on the mountain before he ascended, they said, Lord, will you now deliver unto us the kingdom? And so John, ever the forerunner, even ever the one pointing others to Jesus, sends his disciples to ask him, are you the coming one, or do we wait for another? Our Lord knows what the Baptist is doing, and so he answers the two disciples in a way that they will see that he is indeed the coming one. He is indeed the Christ. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Our Lord answers them with proofs of his claim to be the one whom their master was preparing for by giving them evidence in word and in deed. When our Lord says the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, he's giving them proof that he is fulfilling the prophecies of the Christ by his actions. Other prophets may have done some of these works, after all, they were shadows of the substance which is Christ Jesus, pointing to him by their words and by their actions. But only he has done all of these things and done them in abundance. In singling out these specific acts, he is making reference to a number of prophecies, including those in Isaiah, such as in chapter 61, which says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This prophecy confirms that he is the Christ, the anointed one, for that is what Christ means. And his anointing is not that of regular priests or regular kings which are anointed with oil, but he is anointed with the Holy Spirit. This, of course, happened at his baptism at the hands of John. But he also makes reference to chapter 35, which says, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. This prophecy is also fulfilled by our Lord, and it speaks volumes to John's disciples, proclaiming that he is not only the Christ, the coming one, but that he is God in the flesh. Your God will come. He will come and save you. And what are the signs that accompany this? Well, blind eyes open, deaf ears are unstopped, lame men and women walk, and the mute speak. All of these Christ did and more, even raising the dead. In telling John's disciples this, he proves to them that he is indeed the coming one, for he does all of these great acts. He proclaims that he is the Christ, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he even proclaims that he is the Son of God. 
but he also gives them evidence that he is the one that they are waiting for by what he preaches. The poor have good news, sorry, the poor the gospel preached to them. This is that reference back to Isaiah 61, specifically the portions which speak of preaching good tidings to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison for those who are bound. All of these are references to preaching the gospel to the poor. The phrase good tidings is especially illustrative here. In English, our word gospel comes from the Old English godspel, which means good news. The good news, the good tidings, is that God himself is dealing with our sin. We are not able to, our sin is too great, too all-pervasive. We're not able to do what is necessary to atone for our sin. We're not able to fulfill the law of God. And so the good news is that God himself is coming to do the work to free us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God in the flesh, has perfectly fulfilled the law. It was perfectly fulfilling the law when he spoke to John's disciples. And he would be going then to the cross to suffer the punishment due to sinners, and die. This all he did in our place, so that by faith in him, his obedience and righteousness is credited to us. This is why he did not go to the mighty, or to the self-sufficient, or to the rich, or to the powerful when he came, but instead he preached the good news, the gospel, to the poor. He spent time among the blind, the lame, the outcasts, and the sinners, because the rich and mighty are self-sufficient. They have what they have and often feel that they have gotten it for themselves by their own hard work and labor. They often are right in their own eyes. It's the poor that know their state, know their helplessness, and know their need for rescue. But note this poverty which our Lord speaks of is not only poverty of riches, indeed it includes a spiritual poverty, and a spiritual poverty primarily, for only those who are poor in spirit are able to receive this gospel, the good news. It is only good news for those who have no hope in themselves, for those who have despaired of their own works, of their own goodness, those who are self-sufficient, self-important, self-righteous, those who are proud cannot receive the gospel. It is offensive to them. One must first be poor, broken-hearted, realizing their captivity in sin and their bondage to the devil. Only these, only these who have seen that they cannot keep the law, who have not deluded themselves into thinking they too can do it perfectly, that only those who know they cannot rely on themselves, that know that they are not righteous, nor can they be, only for them is the gospel good news. Only in such a person can faith be created. Only those who cannot trust themselves can trust Christ. And this is offensive to many. This is why our Lord says, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. For there are many things to be offended by. Some are offended by his way of life and his demeanor, avoiding the rich and the powerful and associating with the lowly. Some are offended by his low and humble estate, neither being rich himself 
nor from a powerful or important family, but more are offended by what he preaches, that you must forsake yourself, that you must be poor, broken-hearted, and humble, because you're not good, and you on your own, can, and by your own power, can never make yourself good, can never make yourself better. It is offensive to many that he has no need of you if you think that you're righteous in your own heart, if you think that you're important enough to have something to contribute to your own salvation, if you think you need that at all. If you think your works can add to your salvation, you'll be cast out, sent away, because there's no room for both yours and Jesus's works. There is no room for giving of your own in this, only in receiving. This is offensive to those that rely on themselves. This is spoken of and prophesied by the Blessed Virgin in her song, The Magnificat, which says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. Those who think themselves mighty and who do not change that opinion of themselves, who do not repent, in other words, will be put down from their so-called thrones. Those who have filled themselves with riches and who imagine themselves rich in their own goodness will be sent empty away. The proud who imagine great things of their own ability will be scattered. Yes, one must be lowly. One must not think too highly of themselves, but realize their state, realize the extent of their sinfulness, realize that they cannot bring themselves up from the ash heap of sin and death. To these ones, to these who are lowly, broken, despised, and helpless, who have despaired of themselves, our Lord comes in tenderness and love, speaking comforting words of forgiveness, good tidings, news that their bonds shall be broken, their prison doors opened, their brokenness healed, and that they will be exalted and raised from their humble and low estate. Yes, these poor ones receive Christ, and all must become poor like this in order to receive him. No one really wants to hear this, that we must first be crushed and cast down, but it's necessary so that we may be raised up by God, because the proud exterior that we often display and that must be destroyed by God's word is only a facade with no strength and no truth. It masks the sinful interior. Only God, through the work of Jesus Christ for us, is able to actually take away our sin and not just hide it. Indeed, blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. For the one, for this one, God will raise up. This one, who does not take offense but instead believes, will have their sins forgiven, will have their broken heart, broken by sin, healed, and will be exalted up to heaven. Yes, John the Baptist was no reed shaken by the wind. He did not doubt that Jesus was the Christ. Rather, he had a steadfast faith, always trusting in him. And John the Baptist was no man clothed in soft garments. Such a one would not be a fitting herald for the meek and lowly Christ. Instead, he accurately goes on ahead of Christ in rough clothing, 
living on his own, preaching the message of repentance. Rather, John the Baptist was a prophet, and more than a prophet. He was the great and last prophet before the coming of the Lord, who would prepare the way before him. For these qualities, our Lord praises the forerunner, and it is these qualities that we ought to imitate. First and foremost, it is his faith that is held before us as an example. John never doubted his part. Near the end of his life, he did not think that he should keep disciples for himself, just in case this thing panned out wrong, but he continued to send his disciples to Jesus, because he had faith that he was the coming one, the Christ, the Savior. This faith we ought to imitate and pray that God of his grace would grant it to us, so that likewise we may be steadfast in our faith, trusting in Christ rather than in ourselves, even in the face of death. We should also imitate his lowliness of life and humility, for we recognize that we ourselves are nothing, and that everything good we have received, we have received from God by his grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Recognizing and remembering just how much our Lord has done for us, remembering how he took on a human form to die for us, that we might have his generous gift of forgiveness, life, and salvation, we too ought to live lives of humility, to associate with the poor and the lowly and the despised, to serve them in love as God has served us, to share with them the love of God that he has blessed us with, to not seek out the great and the mighty and the powerful, but instead to seek out those who have been left out and despised and to serve them with love so that they might know the love of Christ. We're also to imitate John in this, that while he alone had the role of Christ's forerunner, we may imitate him in pointing others to Jesus. For those who are already in Christ, we may remind them of the great consolation of the gospel that we have. We may encourage them to remain steadfast in the faith and direct their eyes to Christ, the source of their hope and salvation, especially when they are doubting, wavering, when they are feeling down, when their sin weighs heavily upon them. For those that do not yet know Christ, we are like John to make him known through sharing our hope in him through directing them to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to the one who brings good news to the poor, healing to the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, and opens the prison to those who are bound. For we ourselves have all received this, and we ourselves have benefited freely by God's grace. So let us likewise follow John in proclaiming, pointing, and directing others to Christ our Savior, so that they too may join us and all the faithful who have trusted in the work of our Lord Jesus in the resurrection to life everlasting. May God grant this unto all of us through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen.